You're not the boss of me, is the cry of many kids heard all over the world, probably any given day, perhaps uh, even a cry that you yourselves heard uh, this very morning as you were making your way uh, to church, or some rendition of it. It may not have been that exact phrasing, uh, but it may have been something uh, similar to it. Uh, it is this idea of, I can do what I want. I am the boss of me. I am the one who determines my life. I am the one who, who makes plans for myself. Um, sadly, it is also the cry, I believe, of many modern people in our world today um, that we feel as though we have to shout out, you are not the boss of me. I am able to do what I want. Um, you can't tell me what it is that I'm to do. I'm my own person that it is actually something that we've confused with the idea of freedom. One of our greatest goals, one of the things that we hold to be uh, the, the achievement of our society, I think, is that, is that freedom is um, primary, that we are to strive for freedom uh, for all people, which is uh, true and good, yet what we confuse so often is what that actually means. When we think that what it means is that I am able uh, as a person, that I am free when I am able to do whatever it is that I want, that no one is stopping me from doing that. Yet what it actually is, uh, is I think the call of perpetual childhood. That it is within our spirits, within our lives, uh, a refusal to grow up. That we would always say to ourselves, not freedom by the way, but that we would, our misunderstanding of freedom, that we would always say to ourselves, I can do what it is that I want. I think that it is this call of perpetual childhood in, in my own life and a lot of our lives that would cause us to quit jobs, leave marriages and families, switch churches or abandon faith, break friendships, sputter out in our life, uh, isolate ourselves and be completely alone. And it's not much of a stretch really to then apply this same call, this same principle within life that can damage us in so many ways to our spiritual lives as well. That we look at our spiritual lives and we say um, that it is personal, that it is private, that it is individual, that it is my business and my business alone. That we then pray, that we then serve, that we then listen, uh, that we then discern, uh, and we then act alone. Even in worship, we can be surrounded by people, yet we can still be uh, completely unaware or, or completely uh, undependent uh, on the people who are around us. We can be completely alone uh, as we come together in worship. I think that this is a struggle that we face. This past week uh, was the, uh, in, in uh, many churches, what is known as the Week of Prayer for Christian Unity. And because of my involvement with uh, the ministerial, uh, I had been invited to a service to be a part of. We hadn't uh, advertised it very well. We hadn't got the information out to people who were organizing it, and so uh, attendance was poor. Um, but uh, it was a neat event. I know that I was, uh, I was invited to speak there with another uh, pastor friend of mine just to briefly share a story. Um, and, and we went through an entire service. Potentially a bit liturgical for some of your tastes, but uh, you know what? There's beauty. 
uh, I think, in, uh, in what it is that we partook in that day. But we came to the end of the service, and there was a song in our, in our bulletin that we were going to sing that reminded me of my childhood, because I grew up in the Catholic Church. Uh, and the song that we were singing was one that I have strong memory of my mom uh, singing often as she would lead music in the church. And it was one that sounded beautiful, and as I was looking at the words, I'm like, oh, there's, there's rich and deep meaning to this that I didn't know as a kid. I just remembered enjoying singing this. And I pointed this out to my pastor friend uh, and said, look, this is a song. This is like nostalgic. I'm so excited about this. And we hadn't sung it until the very end, and then we finally sing it, and I was just uh, so excited to sing it. And as we were singing it, uh, my friend puts his arm around me as we're singing it, and he begins kind of swaying back and forth, and he's just a very outgoing kind of person, and this is normal for him. And for me, I'd like clench up inside, and I'm like, <gasps> but this is my space. This is my song. Like, why, why would you be doing this to me in this time? This is my nostalgic song. Like, this is just me and God. Like, how dare you? <laughs> And it, this, is, this is my reaction, I think, so often when I think, of, when I think of spirituality, even when I think of worship, no, this is my space. Like, this is me, this is God, that's it. And I, I miss things. Like, there's things that I don't understand, I think, then about that because I don't believe uh, that our spiritual lives are meant to be spent alone, that they are not just individual, that they are not just personal, that they are not just my business yet they are at the involvement of so many people. Yet, our view, I think, of freedom and individuality, the importance of the individual, leads us to engage so often with God alone. Yet, so many of us struggle when we try to engage with God alone. There was a, uh, an, uh, sorry, an experiment that I read about, I think, at the University of Virginia. Uh, just this past, it didn't happen this past week, but I read about it this past week where they uh, took uh, a, a bunch of individuals, men and women equally probably, and they, uh, at the beginning of their test, gave them a little electric shock, like a mild electric shock, and then they sort of asked them, like, how was that? <laughs> a terrible test just to begin with, but I'm sure they got paid money to do it. Uh, and they said, how was the electric shock? And everybody agreed in the test, it was unpleasant. We didn't like it. Uh, and even to the point where they said, we would pay money to not endure this again. They're like, great, okay. Uh, and then they, uh, they, I don't know if they locked them in a room and they put them in a room uh, for 15 minutes with nothing but a button <laughs> that would shock them. Uh, they didn't have a phone to look at. They didn't have anything to listen to. They didn't have anything to take part in. It was just them in a room with a button. And because the, the, the experimenters sort of deduced that because we are terrified to a certain degree of being alone. We are so uncomfortable uh, with being alone. One quarter of women, and I don't know what this says, but two-thirds of men <laughs> shocked themselves uh, during that 15 minutes because they were just, they needed something to do. It was just such an unpleasant experience for them. Uh, and maybe it was just, you know, it, even curiosity, they knew, like maybe they just wanted to test, like, will I get shocked? They knew what the shock felt like, so it wasn't that like, oh, what does this feel like? They know already, um, but they chose to shock themselves nonetheless because it was just so unpleasant for them to be alone. So I find it interesting that in our faith, we, we so often, in our culture, right? Like there's a lot of other cultures that are, that are group-oriented, uh, and, then, and then our culture, which is quite individual-oriented, where, um, where it's all about 
me, it's the individual, or even just the one family unit, whereas other cultures are like, it's, it's a collective good kind of deal, and, and, and we're not so great at that. But within our faith so often, we look at it and say, it's, it's just me and God. My spiritual practices are to be just me and God. When I'm to pray, it's to be just me and God. Yet I think for many of us, and this is not all of us, I'm stereotyping here, but for many of us, we struggle when it comes to spending time with God alone. Uh, maybe it's because we've got our phone right beside us and we always turn to it, or our minds get distracted or whatever it may be, but we have difficulty when it comes to focusing in on God. So we say that we struggle with this, yet we say that this is how it's to be. We struggle with being alone, but we say, well, no, it's got to be done on your own. One of the lessons that I feel like I've learned uh, in, my, in my preparation for my trip to the Asian Spice region uh, and in going to that region to do uh, a mission trip, right? I have been spending the last couple of weeks talking about uh, what I've learned on that two-week trip and the preparation leading up to it that we went to uh, pray, uh, and that was our purpose in being there for two weeks. And I've been trying to bring to you lessons, things that I've learned as, as an amateur uh, prayer, very much so, uh, about prayer. And the first thing that I had mentioned is that prayer is not a gift, uh, but prayer is a calling for all Christians, that we are all to be engaged in prayer. Uh, last week, what I did mention is that, ooh, it has just escaped my mind completely. <laughs> Anybody? Here's a test. What did I say last week? Prayer is work. Thank you. Oh, look at that. Prayer is work. That prayer is something that we put our effort into, that it is a difficult work, uh, but it also accomplishes things. Prayer is work. And then this week, uh, the lesson, the third lesson that I feel like I've learned uh, through, through the process of engaging with this trip uh, and going on the trip is simply this. Don't pray alone. Don't pray alone. Don't go to your Bibles and start trying to uh, disprove me yet, <laughs> okay? Just hold on. You're like, wait a minute, this doesn't sound right. This sounds heretical. Um, don't pray alone. Within the Bible, there are a number of passages that we come across that talk about um, praying alone. We see Jesus does get away to pray on his own. That, that he removed himself from the crowds, that he even removed himself from his disciples to go and, and pray on his own. In, in Matthew chapter 6, too, we have this teaching uh, in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, uh, there's a couple of different passages where he says, when you pray, uh, do this, or when you fast, do this. And in the prayer one, he says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. And so we see that there is a teaching here that says, do not pray to be seen. Do not pray to impress others. And if that's in your heart, get somewhere else. Shut the door. Don't tell anybody about it be with God. That prayer is not uh, to impress people uh, or to lift you up in their eyes, to be someone who sounds holy, um, yet you're kind of doing it for your own selfish motive. So we do have this teaching that sort of, maybe to a certain degree, um, has, has freaked us out, potentially, as the church, that says, oh, 
I have to pray like a prayer closet. There's this idea of like when I pray, I go like even in my own house where nobody can find me and I just shut the door and, and I stay there because this is between me and God and I don't want to be um, praying so that others will think how great I am. And yeah, we do have to watch our, our motives. We have to watch our heart. That's a very important thing. This is taught in the Bible. Okay. Many other times you find people praying with each other. We can acknowledge that. That if you were to go through uh, the Gospels even, um, Jesus prayed with his disciples. At least he prayed around them. When they asked him to say, when he asked them, and when his disciples came to him and said, teach us how to pray, the idea is that they must have seen him pray to know that what he prayed and how he prayed was something that they wanted to model. In John chapter 17, the whole thing is a prayer, and it doesn't seem as though at any point in time, like Jesus has been talking to his disciples, and then he spends a whole chapter praying, and it doesn't seem like he left to go away by himself. There's times where he brought his disciples with him, but left them, you know, a certain distance away, and then went on his own, but kind of came back to them to check in uh, with them. Within the book of Acts, you see the disciples praying together. You see the early church described as praying with one another. For every passage in Acts that you have, like, Peter on the roof uh, praying and God gives him a vision, you've got two, three, four others even uh, of, of the church praying with each other. In Acts chapter 1, verse 14, the early church is described as this. Uh, in, in referring to uh, the disciples, those 12, now 11, uh, who were following Jesus in, uh, initially, it says that they all met together and were constantly united in prayer. Constantly united in prayer. That the early church is referred to as, uh, as a praying church, that they would meet together when things were going badly, and they would pray for things, and then they would hear that things went well, and they would celebrate, and then they would just keep on praying. That when Pentecost happened, the idea is that all of the, all the 120 followers of Jesus at the time were together, and likely uh, they were uh, enjoying a meal, but they were also likely praying as well when the Holy Spirit fell on them. So you have many, many references in Scripture to Christians praying together and how important that is. I think how vital that is uh, to uh, their life and faith and to uh, their time with one another. My experience in preparing for my trip um, was different for me. I think for the most part, while I have had positive experiences of praying with others, I have been uh, one who prays uh, on his own. And as I had said, like we were meeting every six weeks up in Regina um, uh, from 9 o'clock to 11 o'clock. I had to leave at 6.30 to get there in time so that I could make a coffee stop as well uh, so that I could have my coffee when I was there. Very important <laughs> for me, maybe not you. And, uh, and then we would spend the first two hours, I don't think I'm exaggerating, like the first two hours we would spend generally in worship and prayer. And this was uh, not really led by anyone. We did have uh, Brian, who was on our team, um, uh, was a gifted worship leader. And so he would have some songs to sing, but he would like sing a song and then, and then 
people would just kind of pray. It wasn't really led by anybody. And this was so new to me that I was quite uncomfortable for like usually the first hour when we were meeting together. I was just trying to get my bearings and sort of sort myself out because I just wasn't used to this. And what I found myself doing is that I, I, I would struggle with, with our, our prayer time for a couple of reasons. Uh, all kind of connected to me. Number one, I think that I would listen critically. I like to think of myself as a critical thinker, uh, and sometimes this is good, sometimes this is really bad. <laughs> and that I would listen critically to people's prayers and say, oh, do I agree with that? Philosophically, theologically, uh, should I pray like a counter prayer to that one? What should I do? And there would be this like war kind of going on within me uh, where I would sort of criticize what it was that was being prayed rather than listening, agreeing, um, going along with it. Now, discernment is good, right? We're not to uh, take absolutely everything, but I think that there are times where discernment, and if we are people who uh, discern and, and try to think critically, it doesn't take long. Well, it might take a while. But I don't know if you've subtly noticed that your critical thinking moves very quickly or, or subtly into uh, judgmental criticism of a heart and not a stance. And it just it, it bleeds into that so easily if we live in a place of criticism. There's a rule in um, uh, improv comedy. I don't, people get up on stage, people give them suggestions as to like, hey, you're in a coffee shop and there's vampires outside, be funny. <laughs> and, uh, and they have to make up this scene and, and, and they sort of interact with one another as they do it, no plans ahead of time. They develop, they adopt characters, they sort of set uh, what's going on and all that. And uh, there's a rule within improv comedy that, that is simply that you say yes. That if somebody is to, is to suggest something to you, they say, oh, Gary, what's going on? And your name isn't Gary. You don't like immediately correct them. And you're like, actually, my name is such and such. You say yes to that. And then you sort of move it forward. You add your other plans. And then the other person kind of does that as well. That there's this, you know, say yes to it. And, and you move forward. I think that there's some wisdom in that when it comes to uh, praying with others and, and, and thinking about that. But for me, I struggled so much with just kind of thinking critically and, and not kind of engaging. Um, I also felt very insecure. As I'd said that I was the least experienced, youngest person kind of within this team, uh, I so often felt like, you know, what did I have to add? What could I say here? Uh, I'm, I'm not feeling like an impressive person, and for whatever reason, in my heart, uh, that always gets me. It's like, ah, oh, I just want to be impressive. <laughs> and it's something that I'm working on and continually working on. Um, but I know that that brought out a, a lot of insecurities within me in, in praying with other people. I was being critical. I was feeling insecure. And it was hard for me then to engage. But what I have learned is that there is great joy uh, in not praying alone. There is a, a beautiful support that comes, actually, in praying with other people. And there's inspiration that happens with it as well. One of the things that we uh, were asked to do was to uh, find prayer partners. Uh, and that we would, uh, with those prayer partners, we would go on, a, on prayer walks, kind of weekly. Um, we were given a book about prayer walking, which is, as it sounds, like that's what it is. You walk and you pray. The idea is to walk through parts of your neighborhood uh, and pray 
but there's a book explaining how to do it because um, it, it is more complex than just walking and praying, but it is exactly as it sounds. Um, and so Waylon and I were, were prayer walking partners, and we uh, inconsistently, uh, probably because of me, <laughs> uh, and the cold, the winter cold, they made us like, here, here's a book on prayer walking. Now it's minus 40. Enjoy. <laughs> Um, so I think, did we walk around the building sometime maybe, like inside? Or we sat inside sometimes too. Or we drove, we did drive somewhere, and, and yeah. So anyway, we figured it out. Uh, but we would do uh, prayer walking, and so we were to engage in prayer and, and, and walk through different parts of our neighborhood, different parts of the town, or drive to different places. And we were to listen, sort of notice what it is that was going around, uh, 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 around us, uh, and to pray kind of together. And, and what I found was um, that that was a good experience for Waylon and I, I think, like you could talk to Waylon about it later, but for me it was good just to even develop our, our friendship, to develop our partnership, that we were working together at something, uh, and that even afterwards, after praying, like I could go out and walk on my own and pray for stuff, but then I'd come back and I'd be done. Maybe I could journal about it, that was it. But with Waylon, we could, we could talk about it. Well, you don't have to text him now. Is that somebody texting you now, Waylon? <laughs> like, is he right? Was it a good experience for you? Uh, <laughs> um, but we could talk about it afterwards, sort of debrief and say, hey, this is what I was experiencing at this point in time. Like, how did that, how did that feel for you? And so for us, it developed uh, to a degree, you know, like a, like a partnership and a friendship. And I found this as well uh, with the, the group that, that we went on the trip with, that we prayed together. There was a camaraderie that came. And for me, that enabled me to get over some of my insecurities, that enabled me to get over some of my, my critical nature and just be able to engage with the people who were there. One of the things that I found in, in praying with other people is that there's great support uh, as you pray with others. That, that what I can accomplish on my own is far, uh, is, is far more insignificant than what I can accomplish with others or what we can all accomplish together. You know, there's a story in Exodus, and forgive me, I don't have the reference, and it might not even be in Exodus. <laughs> it's in the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible, but for sure it's within the last four of the first five, because it's got Moses in it. <laughs> but you may know it as I talk about it, right? It's the story of Moses. Joshua is, uh, is fighting a battle that he is, is taking the people of Israel uh, against another tribe, and, uh, and Moses is on a hill, and he is holding up his arms and his staff, which is representative of intercessory prayer, right? That, that uh, Moses would be pleading to God on behalf of the people of Israel. And it says that as Moses' arms were raised, the Israelites would be winning. But as his arms fell, uh, the victory would, the, the, the battle began to swing towards the other people, the other nation. And so on Moses' side, Aaron and Hur, I believe, would come and they held up his arms so that what Moses was not able to do on his own, he was able to do with others. And as Moses' arms were up, uh, it, the Israelites were victorious. And it's a picture of what we're able to accomplish in prayer with others, what we're able to accomplish in prayer with one another. There is great support uh, that comes there, that we are not there carrying our burdens uh, alone. That there was often times where we would be praying for somebody uh, and I would have 
absolutely nothing to pray because I just, uh, it was, my head was empty. I was exhausted, tired, whatever it is spent. The only prayers that I could think of were like the repetitive ones that kind of like always come up and I think, oh no, there's got to be something else. And then I would find that because I was praying with other people, um, well, they would step in. Like God would speak to them. What he hadn't given to me, he had given to other people. And then as other people were praying, I found, oh, okay, no, yeah. God's beginning to speak to me too. I'm hearing where God is taking this, and some of the thoughts that were kind of rambling about in my head are beginning to sort of fit in now, uh, and I can join in on this prayer. So there's great support uh, in praying with other people. There's inspiration too. Like as I said, uh, as one person would pray, I would feel, uh, or another person would feel, led to be able to pray something else. And as I think I mentioned last week, there's nothing quite like uh, feeling as though God is asking you to pray something and then hearing it come out of somebody else's mouth. And we had prayed for this couple who in, in this country uh, were involved in, in uh, house churches and were doing so much. And I know that in my heart as they were speaking of the things that they were doing, my fear for them was like, whoa, <laughs> I'm just tired listening to what's going on and the burdens that were on them. Yet their hearts were so big for the mission that God had had for them and that that church uh, was asking them to do. The expectations that were on them. And I remember then uh, as our team began to pray for this couple, I felt like God, and usually God didn't just give me words, he would give me scriptures or pictures, things that to me felt a little bit safer, as opposed to a direct word that would say, this is what God is saying to you, because if it's a scripture, I can say, it's in the Bible, it's okay, <laughs> like, God did say it at some point in time, and now I'm just applying it to your life, but when it's like, this is a direct word from God, uh, it, it causes more discomfort in me, and I had a word, uh, proud, and it wasn't, oh, you are proud people, but it was, no, God is proud of you. And it seems kind of generic, like it's something that you could just say to somebody to make them feel good, but it sincerely to me felt like what God wanted them to hear. And I was holding on to it for a little bit, and it's like, well, okay, maybe I, I'll just, God, is this really you? Is this what I'm supposed to pray? And then out of Brian's mouth, uh, as he's praying for this couple, comes the words, uh, God is proud of you, and he wants you to know that. And then he begins giving them a picture that he's had. And, and then my heart is just elated because I know that we're, we're in sync. We're working together and we're both listening to God. And so then I speak out of that and then add to his, uh, his picture, his image, uh, another piece that I think God has given to me. But there's great inspiration as we come to pray with one another. So there is a partnership that can form. There's support that we can find and there's great inspiration. One of the reasons that I think that praying with others uh, is difficult is because it requires a level of submission. It does require that we leave behind sort of our picture of absolute freedom, that I am able to do whatever it is that I want to do, because as we pray with others, We are listening to them, we are engaging with them, we are listening for God's voice and, and looking for those opportunities to be able to speak uh, into this situation, uh, not ignoring what has already been said, uh, but kind of embracing what's been said and then moving into that. That somebody may pray uh, a different prayer than, than you have on your heart. 
But as they pray that, something else begins to stir in you, and you can begin to pray into that as well. I think that I think that I struggle. I think that if we were all honest, we all believe, we probably all would struggle with this idea of not having our way in things. Like this is like the biggest fight that takes place in our family with our kids, right? Is trying to convince them that they don't always, at all times, have to have their way. <laughs> oh, and I think that's the same with us. That that even within uh, our prayers with one another, even within the body of Christ, this idea that we are to mutually submit one to another within the church. That that I am to view your thoughts, your priorities, your things as more important than mine. And then vice versa. It gets out of balance if there's only a few people doing that, and that's where people kind of get walked on and tread on. But as we all are to practice mutual submission, viewing others' interests as more important than our own, um, it works together in this beautiful harmony, I think, uh, ideally. But I think that prayer with one another requires submission. And submission needs trust, right? That we need to have actual trust for one another to uh, submit to one another. And I think that was, my, that was my struggle in the beginning, is that I didn't know everybody around the table and, and, and all the prayers there. I felt insecure because I didn't know how people viewed me. I always feel like because I'm younger that people can write me off. You know, oh, you're not... You're not 40 yet. 40 is really important, <laughs> or 50 is really important, or 60 is really important. You haven't learned. You haven't really lived, uh, and so we can write things off. And I've experienced people kind of looking down on me for different reasons and in different ways, and it is terrible. And it's filled me with insecurities, and I think that it fills a lot of other people with insecurities when it comes around to those kinds of things. And so I had this in this group, yet it wasn't based on reality. It was based on my own stuff. And as we met together, as we prayed together, uh, love for one another grew, and these little, like, expressions of, of uh, camaraderie would just sort of pop out. Somebody saying, like, oh, you're so great. <laughs> Hugs happening and all these sorts of things. If you're not a huggy person, I know that that wouldn't be great. But, um, but it was enabling us to actually have trust with one another. I remember the very first day, not the super busy day that I was talking about, I think, last week, but, but the very first day where we were there, we did some worship, and we, uh, we prayed for uh, one of the international worker couples that was there. I remember struggling to get a word in. Um, I think we were all very excited, and everybody was, was praying, like one person would, would finish praying, and almost as they were finished the last word, like somebody else would just sort of start right off of that, because it's like, oh yeah, I've got something, and, and for me, I was just struggling even to get used to it, probably sleepy and jet-lagged and all that, and I, I couldn't get much in, um, and sometimes I'm a bit... Uh, slower on the uptake, and I, I can't, I can't uh, speak it out very quickly. And so I remember after that meeting, when we were all gathered together as a team, one of the things that we'd been encouraged to do was to say, you know, if you've got concerns, bring them up. Make sure you bring them up. And if we hadn't trusted each other, I wouldn't have been able to bring up the fact that I needed more time. And so I had brought to the team, and I said, I couldn't, I, I felt like it was hard for me to get a word in. I wonder if we can have a bit more space in between uh, the prayers that we're praying so that 
the slower people like me uh, can, can jump in if we, when we're able or when we need to, that we leave that space even uh, for, for God to speak, not that he isn't speaking when we're talking, but can we do that? And like unanimously, the group is like, oh yeah, for sure we can. Thank you for sharing that. And that was, for me, I knew that that was an okay thing because the trust that had been built around the table. We had that trust. Later on in the trip, I remember sharing like a, a picture and an image of one of the international worker couples and, uh, and uh, that they were like in a raft and there was white water all around them and they didn't have any paddles and all this sort of stuff and they were going down this really like fast river, steep walls, all this sort of stuff. Yet in the raft, they were just laughing. They were just having a great old time. That was the picture that I had of them. They were just this, uh, they were such a, um, they just laughed and they brought so much humor where they were, even though they were facing like incredibly difficult circumstances. And I remember then one of the team members later on in our prayer time for this couple added to that image and said, you know, and the reason you're able to laugh is because I see like Jesus in the raft with you. And if I didn't have trust at that point in time, I could have, like, gotten all offended and said, like, wait, that's not in my picture. <laughs> How dare you add something to what I prayed? Um, but because I trusted and loved this person, it, it was fine. Like, there was no problems with it whatsoever. So when it comes to praying with one another, I think that submission is important. Uh, mutual trust is, is very important as well. And I think that I really do believe that it's important that we not pray alone. Not to say that we never get away to be only with God, that solitude is one of these classic spiritual disciplines, right? That we are to be alone with God. But even in solitude, we don't have to pray alone because we never really pray alone. In Hebrews, Jesus is described as our high priest. The author is using uh, an example that the uh, culture would have understood uh, the role of the high priest, all the different duties that they had, um, and, and comparing Jesus to that, but in essence saying, you know, Jesus now is our high priest, but he is seated in heaven, and what he does in heaven is that he ministers like a high priest ministers, and one of the things that he does is that he is constantly interceding in prayer for us that Jesus, this very moment, is praying for you. So we never really pray alone. We are listening for the will of God to pray in agreement with the Son, whose prayers are given power and given life uh, by the Holy Spirit that we never truly pray alone. We are always praying with somebody if we are paying attention. And this is, I believe, why it is that we need to listen when it comes to prayer. It's because God has things to say. God is praying in certain ways, and we are able to engage with him in that as we pray. We, uh, I'll, I'll end with this story, by the way. Um, on our fourth stopover in, in the last region that we were in, we met uh, another international worker who joined with us 
uh, for that entire time because she uh, was very familiar with the people group uh, uh, of the region that, that the Alliance is, is working to reach. Again, forgive the vagueness, but it's just because the gospel is uh, unwelcome in this area of the world, and I don't want to endanger anybody. At the end of our time, we ended up praying for this international worker, and, and she later shared some of her story with me in saying that uh, as her and her husband had been called to go to missions, one of the things that she struggled with was, was leaving her kids behind. Like, they were adult kids, but I think they were uh, struggling with their faith to a certain degree, and, and as a uh, a faithful mom she wanted to be there for them and, and grandkids as well and so this was one of the things that she was wrestling with and she had ended up at some uh, some night where people were like prophesying over people praying if people wanted to come and be prayed for they could be prayed for and be prophesied for and and she like a, like a good alliance person was hanging out in the back <laughs> hoping that nobody would notice her and uh, maybe you're not like that but anyway <laughs> cautiously charismatic we're sometimes described as in the alliance but she was hanging out in the back, and as she had her head down, and she was kind of praying, and, and maybe she was praying like, nobody noticed me, nobody noticed me, nobody noticed me. Um, the, this pair of feet kind of just stopped right in front of her, and, uh, and she had to look up, and there was this person there, and, she, and this person said, I, I have something for you from God. And they said something along the lines of, um, your, your children are in God's hands. They'll be cared for. And for her, this was okay, I'm off then, <laughs> or we're off then, uh, and, and for sure kind of solidifies the process of, of heading off. When we prayed um, for this woman, I knew her, her uh, son through Bible college uh, and Facebook and had an inkling that, that yeah, maybe faith wasn't, wasn't totally there uh, for him. And when we were praying for her, not knowing her story, I had felt God, the only thing that I had to pray for her was um, a word from God that I think went, went something along the lines of, um, God wants you to know that he hears your prayers for your children. He is not slow to answer. They are in his hands. And I just thought to myself, well, pff, I know her son. Of course, that's something that I, my mind would tell me to pray. And so we all love our kids, and that's something that we want to pray for them. And so I just like, okay, God, something else, something else. <laughs> but that was it. That was the only thing that was in my head. That was the only thing that would come. And so um, as I had tended to do on the trip, I just said, like, take this with a grain of salt because I'm new and still figuring this out or whatever. But I then said, I think that this is what God has to say to you and shared that with her. And then it was afterwards that she shared that story with me. And it just felt like, to me it was significant because it felt as though my prayers had joined with the, the prayers of uh, her, I think the prayers of the, uh, this earlier individual, and that all throughout uh, her time there, I believe that people have been praying, you know, God take care of her kids, be with her children, her grandchildren, and all that. And that it was this picture to me that even this prayer that I prayed uh, 10, 20 years later is not a prayer prayed in isolation, but it was a prayer prayed in a community of faith. Hebrews describes 
um, the fact that we are, we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, people who have gone before us, who have done incredible things uh, through faith. Uh, the, the book of Revelation talks about the prayers of God's people as an incense uh, that, is, that is being offered up to him, that, that people are holding these um, plates or, or whatever, and that incense is going off, and that's like the prayers. And that we never really pray alone because we are praying within a community of faith and that our prayers are added to the prayers of living hope, which are added to the prayers uh, of, of Carndiff uh, AGC, I don't know their, their full name, uh, that are added to the prayers of, of the Gospel Chapel, that are added to the prayers of St. Giles Anglican. And they offer up this aromatic incense uh, to God as we pray together. So I think that we struggle to pray alone. Again, this is stereotypical. This may not be for everybody. Um, but I don't think that we have to pray alone. In fact, I would suggest that we don't pray alone. We aim not to. That we never really pray alone because we pray with God. We pray with a community of faith. Uh, and we can also pray physically uh, in the presence with other people. And I believe that we need each other to pray well and that we are uh, far better together than we are divided. We're going to end with a time of prayer. And I don't know how well this connects, but it seems as though it was placed on my heart for a reason. I can be wrong, and that's okay. It'll still be valuable, I think. I read earlier this week that one of the most valuable things that we can do as a church is to offer up prayers for other churches. Because we are a part of uh, the kingdom of God, and that to be uh, properly within God's kingdom uh, is to be unselfish. And so not only do we pray for our health, um, but we pray for the health uh, of the churches that are around us. And I think that as this is the end of the week of the, of the uh, prayer for uh, the prayers for the week of prayer for Christian unity, even though that's something that we haven't necessarily observed uh, within our church, within our tradition, I feel like it's important that we would take time now to listen for God, see if we can hear maybe what is on his heart for some of the different churches within the area and then pray that out. I would say that in this space, one of the things that we learned uh, as we were going to this country and, and in this country is that God's heart is one of blessing. You come across Matthew uh, chapter somewhere in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, I want to say, where, where Jesus says that God gives sunlight to the evil and the good, rain falls on the just and the unjust alike, that we all get the benefit of the creation of God, and that his heart is to bless those who are close to him and even those who are far from him, so that they would see his blessing as his blessing and come to worship and acknowledge him. And so I think that in this space, um, I would encourage us to pray blessing on other churches, not correction, 
because maybe they've hurt us or we disagree with them. I mean, we are listening for God, and so if he leads you that way, who am I to say don't do it? But um, I would suggest that it would be beneficial for us to pray blessing on other churches. And so we're going to do that. We're going to take a little bit of time. Um, is there somebody who's willing to, to walk around with a microphone? I mean, I could do it myself even at this point in time. But I'm actually going to ask you to pray. That's the part I forgot to add, didn't I? <laughs> um, I want you to listen and you to pray. You don't have to. You don't have to pray out loud. You can, you can pray uh, completely on your own. Um, and if you're not even comfortable doing that, like, that's okay. You can agree with things maybe that other people are praying out loud. But if in our time of, of listening, and, and, and just we'll, we'll take a little bit of time, there'll be some silence, it's okay, uh, and then to pray out if you feel as though uh, there is something that God has placed on your heart to pray, then, um, then that is uh, what I'd ask for you to do. And if we spend, you know, 10 minutes in, in silent prayer for uh, other churches within our city within our area that God would bless them and that we would pray blessing on them as we would hope people would pray blessing on us. The things that we would hope uh, others would pray for our church, we would pray for other churches. That's how we'll spend our time. Even if there's a church that you're connected to that's kind of far away from us um, and you'd like to do that, that could be, that could be good too, but I think let's, um, I would encourage if we can uh, to keep it within our area just because time is limited and, and um, yeah. So if you are uh, interested in praying um, out loud, uh, you can just put your hand up. And um, Malcolm, are you going to come around with it? Thank you. Malcolm will come around with the microphone. You don't have to say your name or anything. You can just pray. It doesn't have to be super long. It can be uh, as brief as you want it to be. But if God lays something on your heart, let's pray a blessing on, on the churches of Jesus in our area.